1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. So Alyssa, I've been thinking about the UK a lot just because they're in the news for various reasons. And um, is there anything in the UK that you're kind of jealous of? Is there anything in the UK I'm jealous of? I
0: feel like they have extremely lush green grass. Mm-hmm. The gardens, the gardens. The gardens. That's a much better way of putting it. I'm, I'm jealous of the gardens.
1: Yeah. Um, English country gardens, indeed. But my main thing that I'm jealous of the UK about, seethingly jealous, is the use of the words jab for shots and scheme. Like jab and scheme are used in like newscasts. I listen to the BBC World Service news broadcast every single day. And I just like, am so jealous that our newscasters aren't talking about getting the Wait, COVID Aaron, jab. How this goes to the fact that as
0: two very different people, we share a brain. Because <laughs> I listen to the BBC Global World Podcast every single night before bed. And on the rare occasion that the person doesn't have a British accent, I don't listen. <laughs> obvious German they have sitting in, and I can say yeah. that because I'm German. But like, <laughs> I just, it is, you're totally right about the use of the word jab.
1: And then also scheme, when it's like the government schemed, it makes it seem like everybody's like really... It's all just a big game of Clue. <laughs> yeah, I love it. This week, we're joined by Shannon Watts of Moms Demand Action, Tien Tran, and Megan Gailey to tackle the following questions. What does the Derek Chauvin triple guilty verdict mean for police reform? Are we making meaningful progress on gun control? If care work is an infrastructure, then why does the whole ass economy grind to a halt without it? And can Agatha Christie solve the mystery of what book you should read next? All this and more right now. Welcome to the show. We've got some news to get to today. Uh, We are recording this on a Wednesday, as you probably know, because we complain about recording on Wednesdays a lot, because news tends to happen on Wednesdays. However, this week, the news happened on a Tuesday. So on Tuesday, uh, Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all counts for killing George Floyd on video. Um, And a a video that was watched by millions and millions of people, a video that spurred uh, nation and worldwide protests, uh, a video that led to a trial that seemed like it was very lopsided in who came prepared and who was just kind of there to fuck around. Um, Alyssa, how did you feel on Tuesday during the reading of the verdict? I mean, well, first of all, it's like, you know, you try to go to take a
0: shower, you come out and you're like, they have you have 15 minutes until the verdict's going to be read because I think it came back faster than anybody could have thought. Now, all of us, you know, armchair law and order watchers were like, well, D.A. Barba, A.D.A. Barba always thinks that when the verdict comes back, I mean, that means it was very decisive and one side made a very compelling case. So I think that we were kind of like, you know, like you watch a horror movie through your fingers were Mm -hmm. like, is it going to be good? And then it did. And I think, you know, how can you not cry? I mean, you hear the first, the first one, like, it's like the first charge, the first count being guilty. You're like, okay, that's one. And then when all three were, I mean, I don't think, I think so many people thought that it wouldn't be three for three. And Mm -hmm. it was, uh, as they say, it's accountability, not justice, but it was, it was pretty great.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, how fucked up is it that we live in a world where something so that seems so obvious, cut and dry? We all saw it. I mean, not all of us on the video. <laughs> yeah. Like we all saw it. We all like there were witnesses all over the place. People who stepped outside of their daily lives in order to to try to make sure that this police officer faced some accountability for this. Um, and we were still worried, like, how is this going to get fucked up? Right. Well, they
0: said that this is in Minnesota, it is the first case of a white cop being convicted for killing a black man. So Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of reason for people to be dubious.
1: Yeah. You know, something that I think is interesting is like there's been a lot of conversation about this. And uh, what a day's episode on Wednesday on this was really good once again. Um, But I think, you know, people are talking about all the reasons that it's hard to convict police officers uh, when they kill people. Um, and one thing that I've noticed though, is that we're not really talking about the jury. Like the jury here is like 12 people that both lawyers could agree on who saw what was in front of them and didn't side with the police. They didn't side with the police officer who, who did this act of brutality. And something about that made me think that even if police unions, uh, have ridiculous standards. Even if uh, state laws are are behind, even if federal laws are behind, public sentiment. If we if we become a nation of of potential jurors who always judges police who kill people as like p- potential murderers, like that is a way for us to sort of. <laughs> backdoor achieve police reform. It sucks. Like I wish the laws would change. But the fact that all this diverse jury saw this and they were like, yeah, he's guilty. And it took them 11 hours makes me think that maybe a change in public sentiment means that the beginning of the end of police impunity, maybe we've arrived there.
0: Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this a bunch of times, how culture really always does outpace policy right? Mm-hmm. It kind of has to. It's the it's the forcing mechanism. But yesterday when the judge, who I felt like he read the verdict at lightning speed, I was like, whoa, it's never this fast on law and order. Um, he And then he pulled the jury. And every, every member of the jury had to say whether they agreed, you know, whether this was in fact their verdict. And that's when I kind of got goosebumps because all of these people from different backgrounds all saying, yes, this is exactly what I believe and this is my verdict.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it felt like, you know, it's weird because I, th- I live in Los Angeles, the land of just unnecessary police helicopters everywhere. And I live in a neighborhood in Los Angeles that where police recently came in with a really over-the-top show of force against a homeless community in a, in a nearby park. And uh, it was crazy yesterday to see how many people were just annoyed by the police posting up and being ready to get in a fight. And then they didn't get the fight that they appeared to want, which I found to be. And then there were just like helicopters all over the place. And everyone just kind of went about their lives because it seemed like in this specific case, the right thing was done. Right. And people just were glad about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I'm sure, you know, there's obviously more issues around... Um, police violence and systemic racism as it it relates to law enforcement. And there are still cases right now as we speak of police officers who killed people of color and have not yet faced any accountability for it. We'll keep an eye on those cases and we'll likely be talking about those as they happen. For now, I'm very glad that the right thing happened in the case of this one guy. Um, hope, hopefully, it's the first of of many. Okay, second piece of news: Green New Deal. It's back, better than ever. It's back and better than Look, ever. What? I'm
0: all green in in uh, in in support of the Green New Deal. Really? Did you really? really dress in green in support
1: of the Green New Deal? I thought it would be funny. Oh. <laughs> it's good to get dressed up for podcasts. I think that's a uh, that's.
0: I washed my hair too.
1: <laughs> Um, Alyssa, can you kind of walk people through what the Green New Deal is and who are some of the main uh, political actors who are in support of it?
0: Okay, so the Green New Deal, the overall goals of the Green New Deal are to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions, create millions of good-paying jobs, invest in infrastructure, promote justice and equity for historically marginalized communities, and secure clean air and water and resiliency to climate change. Erin, does that sound controversial to you? Shouldn't be, but it is. (laughs) Apparently it is. So some of our faves, including uh, Senator Ed Markey and Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, formally reintroduced it yesterday, a little over two years um, since the Green New Deal was first introduced, with a record 103 co-sponsors. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: That's uh, that's pretty impressive. Also, can we take a moment to to give a little shout out to Senator Ed Markey, who is like low key one of Washington's top allies. Kind of, like, I love that guy. And know who started his career as an ice cream salesman. That's all you have to know. Ah, uh, that's that's how you know he's a good dude. I wonder what music he played. Did he play it from like an ice cream? Did he have an ice cream truck? Or
0: well, it's actually I could really get into the story about how he took on city hall because they were trying to outlaw ice cream trucks, but. <laughs> Ice cream activist and Green New Deal co-sponsor, Ed Markey. Oh, my
1: gosh. I bet he played This Land is Your Land from his ice cream truck. I guarantee you it was in the (laughs) playlist. (laughs) Um, So the Green New Deal feels like kind of a no-brainer. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. we Feels about right, right? Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I think a lot about as we talk about environmental issues is, you know, there are environmental feminists. There are a lot of women and activists who have successfully, who understand the tie between feminism and environmentalism. But I think it it warrants being talked about more that pollution um, and environmental changes impact women, um, especially women who have kids. Um, climate change, in a lot of cases, uh, women who have kids have a more difficult time migrating. Um A lot of times things that are in our environment impact not just women, but if women have children, it impacts future generations. Um, You know, when like baby girls are born, they're born with all the eggs they're ever going to have. I did know that. <laughs> Which means that whatever the her mother is around when she's pregnant is affecting her grandchildren. Like yes. it is it is generational and it really, really matters. And anybody who cares about the future of humanity uh, should care about this. So hoping the Green New Deal, uh, you know, here's, here's another thing. This is like a cynical thought that I had about the Green New Deal. There are aspects of the Green New Deal that are sort of, they take some of the things that President Biden already has made a priority, and they're they're to the left of those things, which mm-hmm. is about where I am. I'm to the left of a lot of Biden's climate priorities. And I'm um, with you. Yeah. But I almost feel like this could be good if I, for President Biden because now he, he's not proposing this thing that is to the left of everything else. Like, there's something that exists that's to the left of it. So now— Biden's uh, proposals are the centrist option when before yes. they were they were to the left. And I hate having to do that calculus in my brain, but that's what it sort of feels like. Well, and also
0: one component of the Green New Deal, which I think has been sort of fleshed out further in the last two years, is that of union jobs. This one, whereas all the Republicans are like, this is killing jobs and tries to appeal to unions, being like, they're trying to put you out of business. This, uh, the Green New Deal actually has a plan that creates 20 million union jobs in the United
1: States. So pretty dude, good stuff. Pretty good stuff. This is I, I'm pro it and I look forward to the discussion around this. I think I think that if it's not now, eventually all of the things that are tenants of the Green New Deal will be considered mainstream. That's the nature of just being a progressive, I think.
0: I mean, look, twenty years ago, did you think all the light bulbs in your house would be LED? Did you even know what LED was? No. Change is no. a coming.
1: No, I I can't even remember the last time I've changed a light bulb now because light bulbs last for a very, very long time. That's exactly right, Aaron. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, let's talk about DC statehood, another yes. thing that we have talked about on this show before. Alyssa, should DC be a state? Yes. Why? Yes.
0: Can I tell can I tell you a funny thing? Yes. When you get to the White House, there are all these decisions you have to make. And one of the decisions that you make is what license plates you put on the beast, the limo that carries the president. And I went to the president and I said, can we put the no taxation without representation plates on? He's like, do it. So, Aaron, (laughs) the people of Washington, D.C., 712,000 strong, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, they deserve to be represented. They're the only place in America that cannot, uh, that doesn't get to vote yeah that doesn't get a say in what the fuck is happening so they deserve to be the 51st state which would be i think and i tell me if i'm wrong cuz this was interesting to me it would be establishing the state of washington douglas commonwealth dc
1: doug i that i didn't know what douglas commonwealth dc i thought it was district of columbia it was
0: but if it's a state it changes so it would be douglas commonwealth i guess
1: Okay, that's interesting. I also want to note that 712,000 residents means that D.C. has more people in it than Vermont and Wyoming, two states that get two whole ass senators each. Uh, It's also similar in population to Delaware, Alaska, and several other states. So that argument that there aren't enough people there is bullshit. It's Um,
0: bullshit. And also, though, we have to remember, this is another argument potentially for the filibuster, getting rid of it, is that this does currently need 60 votes in the U.S. Senate to pass.
1: uh, How bad are we going to have to perform an electoral massacre in 2022 in order to get anything done? I mean... Look, I keep feeling good about the Senate in 2022 because all of these cowards are retiring And the people that run against them are going to be essentially misspelled Facebook memes. (laughs) And I think that Democrats have a really good shot at, like, really doing some damage, provided they manage their individual campaigns well and they, you know, put up some good candidates and they get voters mobilized. But, like, eventually this is going to happen, right? It has to. It
0: it has to, but I mean... Republicans will do anything that fucking Tom Cotton couldn't get out there fast enough to say why this was a terrible idea. They can fuck themselves, but people, this is something that, because it is, it is important. Everybody knows that this does require a 60 vote margin in the U S Senate. I mean, take a minute, call your senators.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I agree. Um, okay. Well, we're, we're sitting here hoping DC statehood comes through, hoping for the green new deal uh, feeling reservedly happy about what happened in the Chauvin trial. And uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have an interview with Shannon Watts of Moms Demand Action. And welcome back Today, we are so excited to welcome Shannon Watts back to Hysteria. She's the founder of Moms Demand Action, the nation's largest grassroots organization fighting against gun violence. She's also the undisputed champion of trolling the NRA online, which, as people who appreciate both big sweeping changes and righteous pettiness, we appreciate that. Welcome back, Shannon.
2: Righteous pettiness. I love that. I've got to put that in my uh, Twitter bio.
1: <laughs> I, that's totally fine. Use it, use it at will. Um, so let's just get to it. This past week, and really since the beginning of 2021, there has been a jarring uptick in mass shootings. Is this all pandemic related or
2: is something else going on? It's, it's interesting when you dig into the data, When you look at the last year during COVID, mass shootings actually slowed down. And that's because mass shootings often take place in private residences. They're started by domestic violence. We weren't gathering in homes, we weren't going out in public, so those did slow down. However, it was one of the deadliest years on record for gun violence, and that includes gun homicides, uh, that includes domestic gun violence, unintentional shootings. We're still waiting for data on gun suicides but we know that really gun violence is an epidemic within a pandemic and that the COVID crisis exacerbated gun violence, particularly in city centers. Um, And and what we're seeing happen right now as we return to normal in America is that these public shootings are resuming. And that's really the logical outcome of allowing gun lobbyists to write our gun laws. There've been about 50 million guns sold in the last year alone. And there were already between 350 million and 400 million guns in this country. So, again, what we're seeing play out, both in terms of mass shootings and daily gun violence, is is to be expected when you live in a country with so many guns and so few gun laws. Shannon, what most gun control activists are calling for is not radical.
0: Background checks, banning semi-automatic weapons— what are some of the legislative and messaging barriers that need to be overcome for there to be any meaningful gun reform? How do we upend the argument that this is just the government infringing on people's constitutional rights?
2: So it's it's important to be clear about the fact that the only place gun safety is a partisan polarizing issue is in the U.S. Senate. (laughs) Because 90% of Americans support stronger gun laws, like a background check on every gun sale. 89% 89% of gun owners, 87% of republicans. And they have made their their desires known at the at the polling places for the last decade, right? It's how we won the house in 2018, it's how we flipped the general assembly in Virginia in 2019, won the presidency, senate and house in 2020 and 2021. When you look at the issues that drive people to the polls, gun violence has become one of those issues. So it is up to senators to to now look at this issue, look at their constituents and what they want, and and the fact that their constituents are being killed, 100 Americans every day uh, are killed by gun violence, hundreds more are wounded, and to do the right thing. And it's on all of us to put the pressure on them. And and a campaign we have right now is if you you text the word CHECKS, C-H-E-C-K-S, to 64433, we will patch you in to your U.S. senators so you can have that conversation with them. But I, I am hopeful that we are on the precipice of major change at, at a national level. And, and the reason that is so important is because we're all only as safe as a closest state with the weakest gun laws.
1: Yeah. Yeah. People need to start losing their jobs over this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is the latest with the NRA? We know that New York Attorney General Letitia James has been trying to revoke their nonprofit status, and the NRA filed for bankruptcy, which the AG is challenging. Can you catch our listeners up on what's going on with the court proceedings?
2: Yeah, it's been fascinating uh, watching them online. Which I, I guess that's part of my righteous pettiness is that I tune in every day to the NRA bankruptcy trial. But you know what's coming out is is such bizarre behavior for a nonprofit, right? millions of dollars on, on private jet travel and, and Italian suits and trips to the Bahamas. Um, it, it is not like any other nonprofit in this country. What 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 the NRA has been able to get away with is self-dealing and sweetheart deals um, like none other. I mean, they're abusing their nonprofit status. So yes, they're under investigation for that. Let's not forget they're also investiga- under investigation for being a, a potential foreign asset. Um, and, and so, All of this is to say that they are weaker than they have ever been as an organization. They're spending tens of millions of dollars on lawyers that they would typically be spending on lobbying against federal and state legislation um, that that would make Americans safer. And our organization is stronger than it's ever been. We're actually larger than the NRA now, um, and we we are beating them in many ways at the state and federal level. But I I am really hopeful that the the outcome of this bankruptcy trial is that the NRA is just further hobbled. I mean, there's no good news. There's no good outcome for the NRA. Even if they're allowed to declare bankruptcy, they still aren't going to um, be able to uh, evade Tish James. And and she has her sights set on them for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. And quick follow-up. I know you've been following the trial pretty closely. I've seen you tweeting about it and stuff. Um, Has there been any... Like extraordinary expenditures by the NRA that made you kind of that shocked you. Like, what is the most ridiculous thing the NRA has wasted money on?
2: Well, what's interesting to me is that every time there's a horrific shooting tragedy in this country, uh, the CEO Wayne Lapierre and and his minions try to get him into a safe home or a safe yacht. You know, <laughs> here this this man has spent decades and millions of dollars telling us the only thing that protects you from, from bad guys with guns or good guys with guns. But, but really what the, what Wayne LaPierre is saying is the only thing that will protect you from bad guys with guns is a a mansion on a golf course in Dallas or a (laughs) a yacht in the Bahamas. I mean, it, I would love that too, but that's just not attainable (laughs) for the average American. Oh man. Our right to bear yachts is being infringed on. (laughs) I was going to say Wayne LaPierre watched Succession and thinks he's Logan Roy or
0: something. (laughs) Um, Well, in this same vein, since money is the name of the NRA game and they are in a lot of trouble with their money, do you think now this means that Republicans will be less beholden and feel more freedom to do the right thing?
2: Uh, It's a very interesting question. I mean, certainly we're having more Republican support in the U.S. House than we've had The Senate, we're still having those discussions and those negotiations. I mean, some lawmakers are still playing from an old playbook, and it's going to take several election cycles till they see that, you know, we have to show them over and over again if they do the right thing, will have their back, if they do the wrong thing, will have their job. And we've done that with Democrats. If you go back to when President Obama was elected in 2008, about a quarter of all Democrats in Congress had A ratings from the NRA. Today, none do. The last one lost his election in 2020. That's been a really important shift in American politics. And when we lost on Manchin-Toomey, that was a bipartisan bill in 2013 in honor of the Sandy Hook school shooting that would have closed the background check loophole. We lost by six votes in the Senate. Four of those were Democratic senators. None of them still have their job. So this is how the system works in this country. You know, sometimes incremental is a dirty word. It's how the system is set up. If you don't show up at every gun bill hearing, if you don't have relationships with your lawmakers, if you don't get involved in electoral politics, you don't have change. And so we've seen that on the Democratic side. We have unanimous support among Democrats. It's really with Republicans where the work is still being done and we're making progress, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Because of the frequency in which Americans experience gun violence, how do we make sure that we don't get numb and apathetic to the issue? Like last week, I kind of found myself just being like, I can't, I can't right now. So what's, Something encouraging that's happening in the fight that can keep people aware of the way that things can get better. And what can people who are listening to us right now do to help?
2: So when we pull our volunteers, and, and I want to be clear that Moms to Me in Action is mothers and others. You know, we're not just women. We're not just moms. Um, but we're led by women. And, and we also now have students to be in action, which are high school and college age students who are getting involved in this issue. So again, we are, we are a huge organization and people can plug in and get involved in any way they want, electorally, culturally, legislatively. Um, and you can do that by texting the word READY to 64433. When we poll our volunteers, what we find keeps them engaged is the fact that they know we're winning. And I don't think the public necessarily knows that. They're all waiting for this cathartic moment in Congress that hasn't yet happened, but but that negates all of the amazing work that's been done over the last decade in state houses, in boardrooms, in city councils, in school boards. We have now closed the background check loophole in 22 states. We have disarmed domestic abusers in 29 states. We've passed something called the red flag law in 19 states. We've closed the Charleston loophole in 19 states. That on top of all of these other good gun safety laws like reporting lost and stolen guns or requiring secure storage of your firearms, we have a 90% track record of beating back the NRA's agenda in state houses year after year for the last five years. That includes killing bills like Stand Your Ground and Permitless Carry, forcing guns into K-12 schools, forcing guns onto college campuses. On top of that, we've passed uh, policies in, in hundreds of corporations um, around open carry or how they sell their guns or prohibiting guns inside their stores. Uh, school boards. We have sent our materials home about secure gun storage to over a million families across the country. And so all of this is work is being done every single day on the ground, knowing that eventually that momentum would point the right president and the right Congress in the right direction. And that's exactly what's happening.
1: Well, that's great to hear that coming from you, somebody who's so close to the fight. Shannon, we really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you so much for coming back. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. And welcome back to Hysteria, the podcast that is kind of like your favorite bra, supportive, comfortable, and probably pretty dirty. (laughs) Uh, This week, we are joined at this point by two ladies you know and love. First, she's a writer, comedian, and queen of Illinois, formerly Duchess of Pennsylvania, Deanne Tran.
3: (laughs) I'm just trying to take over the States in the Midwest one by (laughs) one, so... Pretty excited about being the queen of Illinois. Yeah,
1: how's it how's it
3: going? How are your subjects handling
1: the news that they're living in a monarchy?
3: Um, they love it. They absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it snowed here yesterday all day. Oh, um, it's snowing here. Oh, it's not. Snow- so. Whenever I
1: see snow that kind of comes out of nowhere, I think Amy Klobuchar must be near. <laughs> <laughs> She might have passed through Illinois. It's possible. Um, okay, next. She is a writer and comedian and the Daisy Duck of the West Coast, Megan Gailey. Wow, 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 wow. That's
4: better than being the queen of Indiana. <laughs> Tien, I met a person who knew you last week, and this is not in the biz. Just having drinks with a new friend, and she was like, I know Tien Tran. Really? Her name's oh. Roxanne. We can talk about it off air.
3: Okay.
1: I okay. <laughs> <laughs> like the name Roxanne. That's a name that you don't oh. see a lot awesome anymore. Awesome name. It's a awesome great name. It's like, yeah, it has the word rocks in it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's,
4: there's a drinking game, isn't that?
1: Yeah. Fox? Yeah. Yeah. I. That's every a,
4: time you say red light. I mean, it's not. Don't do it. You, it's, it's a blackout game. Um, it's not winnable, <laughs> but I know it exists.
1: Yeah, it's a bad game. Nobody wins the Roxanne mm-hmm. drinking game. The 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 alcohol companies win the drinking game because you have to purchase a lot in order. But they say drink responsibly now, Aaron. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And also, you know, living in a state where recreational marijuana is legal, I've just, it's just like, why? Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's Mm -hmm. no reason. Um, Okay. So (laughs) today we're going to talk about something that I think goes through a lot of people's minds um, from time to time. Some people just can't really escape it because it's something that's part of their daily lived reality. And that is taking care of other people and the impact that that has on an individual person's life and livelihood. And, um, The basic, complete lack of support that people who provide care get from the government. So uh, one thing that's been clear since the pandemic has sort of started to subside is that, one, uh, a lot of the bowling alleys have closed, which is unfortunate. Uh, But but the the more unfortunate thing is that women are not doing okay. There have been a ton of women who have dropped out of the workforce. In a lot of cases, that is because they have to provide care for children, have to provide care for relatives, elderly people, people who are disabled, people who are sick. Um, So it's become clear that without women doing this free unpaid labor, society kind of collapses. And it's also become clear that women who are doing care labor that is paid aren't getting paid enough to do it, so um, I want to start with you, Tian. Do you ever anticipate having to have primary responsibility for caring for someone else, and how do you anticipate handling that? Does that cause you any
3: worry? Well, well worrying now, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, I do, because I think um, you know my my parents are aging, and and. When I think about if, if to answer that question, I, I think it's it's my parents. Like my dad got very sick a couple summers ago and that was very stressful for my sisters and I to I mean stressful for him, but also just like trying to navigate that as a family is something that no one's ever prepared you for. You kind of are just thrown into it and you have to figure it out. And I think for my family, particularly, um, as a as a Vietnamese American woman, like you take the tradi- like you take your parents into your home like there is no it's it's kind of looked down upon to you know send your parents to a nursing home all of my aunts and uncles their parents live with them um and so that is definitely something that we'll have to confront and i haven't really thought about it that much cuz it is it's like a scary kind of overwhelming thing to think about. Um, but it's it's on the horizon for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's with like, you have three sisters mm-hmm. and you, you all like are working together to try to figure this out together. You have like a functional relationship with your family and like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> semi-functional. No, you know,
3: it's semi-functional. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you know, it's like, even with, you know, those things lined up, it's still like really, really hard.
3: Yeah. And like, we are like, we're very privileged. We would have the finances and funds to be able to hire help, which I know is not something that everyone can do. So like, yeah, I'm saying I'm overwhelmed, but like, I think as a family, we would hire someone to help us in the home as well, like a a direct care worker. Um, And that's not something that people can do. Mm -hmm.
1: Megan, you have a lot of experience working In kind of in the industry of providing care, um, do you think that TN is kind of like a lot of people like have haven't really they don't really think about like the care, like the reality of having to care for somebody until it actually like comes up?
4: Yeah, I actually got into the like, quote unquote, industry, which I don't even like calling it because it is people's lives. And like, people would be like, that's a lot of money to be made there. And it's like, okay, it's also I just like old people and I'm not really in it for the money. Um, But I got into it because my grandmother moved in with my family when I was in college and had very advanced Alzheimer's. And my mom, who is a nurse, um, was her primary caregiver. And then my mom was working, my dad was working. And so I moved home and I became the caregiver. Mm. Um, And there were three of us, like two working adults, another adult, myself staying home. And it took that many people to be able to watch this one person. And so I think We do, I mean, we would see families come into the retirement community I worked at and, and they'd be like, my mom has insurance and what can we do? And I know we've said it on here before, the system is not set up to have open arms in these places for people if they do need to go into care facilities. And we have not even reached the brink of how packed the system is going to be. Like, I think we're at a third or like, Of half of the capacity that we're going to need once the boomers start needing care. Mm -hmm. And I personally, honestly never even did think of it as infrastructure until it like went under that umbrella, but it's a massive issue. And you like see them talk about it on 60 Minutes and like the programs that our parents are watching and some of us, but like Tien is definitely not, she's a grandchild's age at this point. Mm -hmm. And to be Planning for her parents' care, I don't think it's on really anybody's radar.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Alyssa, the White House has unveiled the American Families Plan, which is the second part of the Build Back Better agenda. And uh, basically, it's follows the approximately $2 trillion jobs and infrastructure plan. And then this plan is expected to call for roughly a trillion dollars in new spending and $500 billion in new tax cuts. Do you think that this will begin to be enough to bridge the gap between what Americans have and what Americans need when it comes to care?
0: I think it'll begin to signal how important it is. You know, I think that when you when anyone has to take care of someone who's older, you understand how much it takes. I mean, we have to start taking care of people at a much younger age so that as they get older, their health problems are not as great. I mean, my Oma was pretty young when she had to start taking care of my Opa. And, you know, and the funny, and not, not the funny thing, but because, and this is something that, you know, we don't talk about too much, but because... She took care of him. He had Alzheimer's, and when he passed away, she had taken care of him for about ten years. And she said to me, "I'm relieved, you know." And she loved him so much. She was with him, but he was bigger. He was, you know he he could he had to be restrained at times. So then she wouldn't let anyone take care of her because she knew what it had been like. And. For her to go, when she found out how much it was going to cost for her to go into a care facility, I mean, it was just like you know, she just felt guilty. She didn't want to have to, you know, spend people's money. She had money. She was like, Shotzi, go get the money behind the refrigerator and behind the cuckoo clock. And, you know, she put it all away. And I, so I just think that it is a great investment they're making. It is a great start, but it's a, it's a start. And I think that by the government taking this step, it says to the rest of the country that it's an important step and a real issue that we have to deal with as a society. But I think it'll, like, in
1: the long run, it'll take a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think another piece here, in addition to like how much it costs to hire someone to take care of people, is like, you know, we don't always want to, nor should we hire people to take care of people who need care. Example, child care. okay? Mm-hmm. So in the US, uh, more than 110 million people do not have paid family leave through their employer. That's 79% of workers do not have any paid family leave at all. Uh, FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, provides for six weeks of unpaid leave to take care of a child or a sick relative. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been around a six-week-old baby, but, like, what are parents supposed to do? You know, like, what are they supposed to do with that six weeks of unpaid leave? It's like... Well, it's it it is completely mind boggling to me that we're just we've just kind of let it fester like this. And um, so, I guess, Tian, um, what difference do you think that having paid leave? Do you think that having paid leave would make a difference in the lives of people that um, are taking care of family members themselves?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I think, especially for how we're seeing the pandemic has affected women in this way, that they're leaving their jobs. Like I think allowing for paid family leave that would help women for the most part, because I, from what I, my sisters and uh, friends, it's mostly women. Um, But allowing for paid family leave for men and women would also help to show that there is a like you need both or like you to allow for that, like equity in gender in helping with the care work. Um, Because I think like, isn't paternity leave something like two, two weeks. weeks? And yeah. like the average already, man, if, if you're average, lucky, if you're yeah. lucky, yeah, the average
1: father takes a little over a week. And that's not necessarily because he wants to. It's because
3: that's what he can take. And that is already setting a precedent of where that care who has to shoulder the work of that care when it comes to raising children. And so, I mean, I think again, like Alyssa said, if you start with pay the family, it's it's like the start of the conversation of how much that work is valued um, and how much it should be valued. And I think in this capitalist society, it's like, it's not infrastructure because I can't see the road go up, but it's like, you're actually, Mm -hmm. these are, I mean, if you want to get down to it, it's like we're these are work, these are future workers. Give mm-hmm. give, <laughs> give them give them all the care they can get in a like sick twisted way. But like, yeah. Also, like you use a road to get to work and like parents
1: also use care workers to get to work. Yeah. Like this is mm-hmm. something that I need in order to be able to get to work. So, mm-hmm. like, of course it's infrastructure. Uh, Megan, do you see any sexism in the Republican dismissal of care, the care economy as uh, infrastructure? I mean,
4: yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, at a bare minimum. I And I think, at like, if I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, some of it is just being naive and being like, well, I didn't have to do any of these things, so I don't know. It's, like, truly out of sight, out of mind. and And I think that... I probably have this bias too. Is like, oh, we think of a retirement community or a nanny, and it's like you think of that being like top-notch care, and they're going to give you, and it's like there's a massive disparity between what bottom-dollar, quote-unquote, care can get you. And in our country, sadly, a lot of times it is neglectful and borderline – on abusive And and that could be a range of people having too many patients. That could be them not being properly trained. Like when we're talking about just investing in care, it's like we we got to raise the bare minimum of what is acceptable for people in this country to be
1: seen as caring for. Mhm. And I think Alyssa to kind of add to what Megan was saying, it feels like we also kind of fundamentally lack respect for the workers who are being paid to provide that care. Mm-hmm. Like nursing assistants have some of the hardest jobs in the country mm-hmm. and they get paid like $12 an hour. So, what do you think needs to change in order for us to kind of recalibrate the way we view care workers? And that include that even includes teachers because teachers mm-hmm. are providing childcare and structure. So, like, how do we change that? I mean, you would hope that after the last year of
0: COVID that things have changed a little bit because also all the people that you just talked about, we would consider frontline workers Mm -hmm. and people who don't get to just, like, if I can be like, oh, I'm not going to show up Mm -hmm. because people's lives are depending on them. So I think that, you know, maybe in the past year it has helped somewhat, especially families who may have seen the people who took care of their family members, say in a nursing home or an assisted living facility, as, oh, you know, like they work there. But after a year, those people are the lifeline and they see them now as the lifeline, you know, who who engaged with their families, who kept all of these people who couldn't see their family members, couldn't have visitors, you know, kept them safe and healthy and, and you know, using their minds and, and moving, you know, kind of moving from day to day. So, mm-hmm. I mean if a massive global pandemic is that what it takes to start opening people's eyes, then I guess so be it. But I think that, you know, I think that the reason that we're even talking about this bill uh, from the White House is because it has started to change. So hopefully we just need to keep talking about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So another thing that I've seen, uh, here. First of all, that infrastructure as care is not something that's like unprecedented. So Hillary Rosen had a piece in the New York Times this past weekend about the way that investment in care infrastructure helped us during World War II. So, you know, during World War II, women went to work in droves. Uh, They were Rosie the Rivetering. They were, you know, we can do it. They were doing all that stuff. But the reason they were able to do it is because in, I believe, 1941, the government invested $52 million, which would be $800 million today, in building daycare centers. That is why those women were able to go to work. I think the invisibility of women's work is sometimes what contributes to people not understanding that work is being done. Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes, not not any men that I currently live with, not any husbands I currently have, but <laughs> I sometimes think that, that men have this ingrained idea that things just magically happen on their own. Like they don't understand that like, a lot of times somebody is cleaning up, you know, uh, the dishes don't clean themselves. Somebody is doing the dishes, somebody is cooking, somebody is doing all this work. Um, Tien, I wanted to ask you, like one of the things I've been reading about a lot is that in order for, you know, things to be more equal in American homes, uh, there needs to be a better divide of housework between the genders. Mm -hmm. Um, What barriers do you think exist between what women need and uh, what men should be doing to meet those needs?
3: I mean, I think some of it starts from childhood too. It's like, you know, there was this one article I remember from a couple years ago that went viral that was about like the emotional labor that women take on. And she even talked about how she was noticing it in the way that she treated her son and daughter. Like when her daughter cleaned her room, it was like, Matt, like, it got done. She didn't get rewarded for it. Like, she knew it was supposed to get done. But when her son did it, everyone was like, oh, my God, this is so great. You would cleaned your room. You're so amazing. You're the best boy. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we need to start, like, reimagining and questioning why we, as a society, push these gender roles onto children. And then they grow up to be what we have manifested in them, is that, like, some boys and some girls, like, aren't being showed that care work is important. Like, I think if we instill that at a young age for everyone across genders, then it won't be something that is, like, ignored and or taken, um, you know, for granted. Um, I have sisters and they're all married and very loving, like, you would consider them, like, not real patriarchal dudes, but they, there are still so many things that they do not think about when it comes to child rearing. Like, what kind of food is, like, I, I see my sisters, like, parsing out food. They, I never see my husbands, my, husbands. <laughs> my husbands. Oh, my God, they're all my wow, husbands. The queen of Illinois <gasps> has really like, changed some laws. You know I moved to Illinois. I'm straight now, and I have multiple husbands. <laughs> like, my sisters are always doing bath time, taking care of school, and like these are partners that I when I'm like when I talk and hang out with them, like oh I'm like you guys are good guys, like mm-hmm. but there's still such an inequity at, in the work, and it's like it's because we kind of just are are kind of letting it happen by putting our heads down and just doing it and not bringing it up and not talking about it, not talking about it when they're young, like all mm-hmm. of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. Do you ever think about all this stuff your mom did for you when you were a kid? Like, in, up to, like, including, like, physically bearing you. And then, like, all the stuff she did. And do you ever feel, as an adult, kind of embarrassed at what a shithead you were? Yes, I've apologized.
0: I've apologized.
1: You've apologized, Alyssa? Yeah, I was a dick.
0: What
1: what did you Not apologize? Not by most How-
0: standards, you know. Mm-hmm. But, like— no, I mean, my mom fucking hustled. She worked hard. She, We had dance classes that were a half hour mm-hmm. away. And, of course, they were never back-to-back. Back. And she'd drive us back and forth. And she always threw the best birthday parties. And she always made our – I mean, it's like she fucking worked her butt off. And, you know, I was just like, Mom, are you kidding me? Oh my. Like, I was just – I just don't feel I was remotely grateful. And so now I try to be super grateful. And it's like a couple weeks ago, I brought her some ranunculas. And she's like, oh, Izzy, you brought me flowers again. I was like, yeah, it's for the quiches for my 16th birthday party.
1: (laughs) 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 Megan, do you ever feel like that about your mother? Like, oh, God, I was so ungrateful.
4: I was, like, truly an angel, and my parents will co-sign this. I would, like, my brothers were the terrors, and so I just, like, watched them and would be, like, like, my brother called the police on my parents, and I just, like, sat in the basement and was, like, I really like them. And basically the cop came and was, like, what is wrong with you, child? But I was so, but I feel like you see, like, kind of what we're saying almost reflected sometimes in, like, Mother's Day and Father's Day posts. Like, it's, like, mothers, like, carousels of, like, all of these photos and things they did. And then, like, Dad, it's like, th- thanks for the glove. You know, like, it's like, I, you were there. But, like, do you need a whole
1: day? And I mean that with so much love, I don't know if you need a day. <laughs> um, Tien, have you ever, like, t- like, sat your mom
3: down and been like, hey, thanks a lot for all that stuff? I mean, I try to every now and then, like, tell her. She's... Ugh. She's amazing. She used to like sew all of our clothes for holidays and also for Halloween too. Just like working late into the night, making Pikachu costumes for us. Like this okay. is insane. Like this woman, I, I I need to do it more. And I have tried to. Yeah. I always feel inadequate because like my mom fled a war for us and, <laughs> and was had like, has a crazy story. Um, So didn't she
1: like have a
3: baby? She was, she had a baby in a refugee camp. I'm just like, I'm endlessly trying to, I I need to do it more. Um, I almost have this fear of like, if I do like sit down and actually, I think I'll even feel more shame and guilt of just how much she's done for us. Like, I already know how much, but like, oh, I'm trying to unpack that. This (laughs) this has turned into a therapy session. I'm (laughs) I'm trying to unpack that.
4: (laughs) I do think that women in a lot of ways are just so effortless. Like they just do make things that seem so complicated. They're like, I got it. And like, I'm sure this has happened in professional settings before. Like I've signed up to do such and such and a a male has been like, I don't think you're going to be able to do all that. And it's like, yeah, I can. Like, we just can do more and we need to just start making it look harder, I think.
1: <laughs> I think I think normalizing gratitude for work that is usually invisible that women mm-hmm. perform is something that, like, I would like to do a little bit more of. Like, and, and I mean, not not work that women perform. I think, like, work that tends to be invisible. So, like, when my husband does the dishes, which he does almost all the time. <laughs> um like I try to say like thank you for doing that and you know my um my my mom does stuff like for her her three grandkids she makes elaborate halloween costumes every year. Like not last year but the year before she made my nephew James a Costume of the boat, the Edmund Fitzgerald, which was a very famous. I remember famous, that. I
0: don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's a, it, is
1: a, it is a cargo ship that sank in Lake Superior in 1979. Wow. And there is a song about it. And because they is live it in. Gordon Duluth, Lightfoot? Yes, yeah. they live in, the, the, so my brother and his, his wife and their kids live in Duluth, Minnesota, which is a big harbor. And so there's, like, a boats all the time and stuff. And, like, yeah, so so my nephew was super fascinated by that particular boat. And uh, my mom was, like, going to make the costume of that. And, like, it was just, incredible. <laughs> she just does stuff like that. But I, I think, Megan, to your point that the effortlessness is is part of it. I think that women are also trained or like socialized to believe that they have to make it effortless, Mm -hmm. that complaining or being like, this was actually really hard or admitting that they stayed up until 3am is something that they're not supposed to do. And like, I I don't know that I totally relate to that because sometimes when I stay up really late doing something, everyone with an earshot will hear me fucking complain (laughs) about it. (laughs) But I think, I think to, to your point, Megan, normalizing like telling people, yeah, it was really hard and I worked hard and now I'm tired and, but I got Mm -hmm. it done is Mm -hmm. something we should maybe consider doing more often. And then when we see people doing work that normally goes unthanked or unrecognized, especially if it's care work, like, Mm -hmm we should take a moment to like recognize that in order to kind of ingrain in ourselves, the fact that that's real, that's real work that provides real value, you know, both in a capitalist sense and in just like a a social sense. It's, it's something that we, we all need to do. Um, okay. So, uh, I want to close on a light note here. Um, So Alyssa and I have talked about this a lot, that we are cruising toward a golden girls situation, which is like a, as as we become older, I think that our generation is used to a lot of different living arrangements than previous generations have been. So like, you know, our grandparents' generation, people became, you know, they turned 20, they got married, they started having kids. And so they didn't really know how to live with roommates. You know, it wasn't really normal Mm -hmm. to like have a whole you know, decade of life where you're kind of cycling through different people that you live with for a temporary period of time and share space with. And so it's difficult for them when they become older to, um, to adjust to living in, in a place that isn't with their husbands and stuff. But I think because we've all spent time in our young adulthoods living with roommates, that it's not going to be so hard to like slide back into that (laughs) as we get older. I really think that eventually we're going to be like buying up five bedroom homes Having like a live-in nurse that is like well-compensated live in one of the bedrooms. And then the rest of us live like golden girls. that sounds awesome. I I think, okay, so question for you. If you could form a golden girls house with three celebrities, who would you want to be your golden girls roommates? And these, these can't be people you already know. They should be people that are just like celebrities that you think would be just like really fun to live with. Um, I think my main Golden Girls roommate would be Maria Bamford. I think she is one of the funniest people alive and she would be really fun to, um, just be old around. I think I would love to be old with (laughs) with Maria Bamford. Um, I'm trying to think who else would be a really fun person to be old with. Um, oh, Maya Rudolph. Would also be a very fun Golden that would be Girls so roommate. Fun. Those, those. I'm just gonna pick two because those two are so far ahead of the rest of the pack. I think Maya Rudolph and Maria Bamford. Megan, who's yours?
4: Yeah, I, I would love Gail Simmons Ooh. of Top Chef fame. Oh I, like she's yes. so funny and like has great fashion. And then you want someone to cook too. Um. So I, yeah, I'm going skill set here. Yeah, that's what and I did. Then, too. And then Serena <laughs> Williams. Um, I feel like she could lead incredible workouts and then also has wild stories and just, ugh, you know, maybe then her daughter's coming over to visit, you know. Just you could
1: b- her borrow her clothes, too. She yeah. dress, She's such an <laughs> icon.
4: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't feel like I would do her clothes justice, but I would definitely <laughs> walk around the house in them. Gosh, and then I feel like I want someone who's, like, constantly— writing stories or, like, inventing fun things. Maybe, like, a Kay Cannon is, Mm, like, a really mm. fun female director and I think would have – Fun sort of like games for us to play. So that's maybe my crew. Maybe that's my crew.
0: Alyssa, who's in your Golden Girls house? So I went the same as you. I just first two top of mind. And but like Megan, I went skill set. So 100% Ina Garten, 100% yes. wow. the house would be beautiful. The food would be yes. great. Wow. Um, and and Chelsea Handler because, one, she's hilarious. Two, all that weed. And then the weed. she can show Ina how to get high. And we can just <laughs> literally live out our days. Dude, <laughs>
1: imagine the desserts you could make infused with weed. They would be yeah. so beautiful. You guys,
0: we would end up starting an industry out of our Golden Girls home because there would just be so much happening. Um, would you continue to make your weed jam? Yes, that's what I bring to the table. One, yard work is what I bring to the table. <laughs> Handy
1: work I bring to the table. And then the jam. I, I really like the construction of these homes and the logic wow. that you guys are employing. I and really they should s- all be in a cul-de-sac
0: next to each other. Yeah, and they
4: all need to be
1: ranch. We need to get five bedrooms on one Single level. level
0: living, okay? Because we may need help getting around.
1: Yes. Can, yes. There, Wide doors. <laughs> can there be com- a conversation pit though? Like in the Brady Bunch house, like houses in the seventies, maybe there can be oh, some yeah. sort of like, like accessible
3: conversation pit. Yeah. Like in, Something like with in a ramp. Like I was yes. going to
0: say like in sister wives, we could just have a main house. <laughs>
3: yeah. I'm, I'm, like I'm thinking like a bunch of tiny houses in a circle, all one floor central area where we all gather to cook and clean and hang out and talk. Like I want mine, I would I would want mine to be like a, a bit of a, a queer paradise, would be like mm. Megan Rapino and Sue Bird. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Just wow aging with those two. Wow. Janelle wow. Monet, you know. Mm-hmm. Kristen Stewart could live like on a different one, but come over whenever <laughs> she wants to. <laughs> Oh man, Megan
1: Rapinoe is going to be one of those like Megan and Sue are going to be people oh. like elderly women with majestic arms. Yeah, yes. you know, yes. whereas just like it takes a life of maintenance and activity in order to to like keep them looking so good, and they're just going to be like buff forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, Sanity Corner.
2: Sirius XM Radio is better with Bogle Wines. 70s on 7, 80s on 8, better with Bogle. Alt Nation, Hip Hop Nation, Hair Nation, better with Bogle. Madison, Howard, Andy Cohen, better, better, better. Y2 Country, Prime Country, Carrie's Country, yep, all better. The Beatles Channel is better, and getting better all the time. Everything on Sirius is better with Bogle. Award-winning family-owned wines ranked as some of the finest available for around 10 bucks. As long as you're not driving, it's better with Bogle. Bogle Family Vineyards, Clarksburg, California. Please drink responsibly.
1: Welcome back. We are almost at the part of the show where we have to say goodbye, but we're not gonna say goodbye yet because we have to talk about the things that have been keeping us sane during this time of deep weirdness and insanity. It is Sanity Corner. Before we get to Sanity Corner, a little bit of housekeeping. Alyssa, you have an item of housekeeping. I do, Erin. We have a new episode of Let's
0: Break It Down this week, where I get to talk to David Pluff, former Obama campaign manager and senior advisor whose office I took when he left in the White House. And we Mm -hmm. talk about domestic travel. Why do presidents do it? Who cares? What is there Mm -hmm. to know? So it's actually very fun. And we talk about some of the secrets to travel. Like, who pays for it? It's
1: not the slush fund that Trump let you believe it was. Interesting. Yeah, that's something I've always kind of wondered about, but never really, like, thought about too deeply. It's like, oh, yeah, it just kind of happens. It just, right it just happens but it doesn't it doesn't there are a lot of people who make it happen <laughs> right yeah it sounds sounds very complicated and i will definitely be tuning in uh another item of housekeeping right now senate democrats have the power to stop the wave of voter suppression laws sweeping the country by passing the for the people act but first they have to come together and eliminate the filibuster to do your part to end the filibuster, head over to votesaveamerica.com slash for the people and use our new whip count to find out where your senator stands. Whip count sounds so hardcore, doesn't it? Whip count. Whip count. It's very, uh, it's very kink. Uh, yeah, actually <laughs> <they're>,
0: super boring.
1: <laughs> yeah, it. you know, it's like the most, I feel like in Washington, they give really badass names to the most boring jobs. Like, yes. you know, you know how like they'll form groups and they'll call themselves a gang And it's like, no, you're just a group that's writing a law together. You're not a gang. (laughs) But anyway, uh, you can use the whip count tool to find out where your senator stands. If they're on the fence, give them a call using our call tool. Together, we can unbreak the Senate and save our democracy. Check out votesaveamerica.com slash for the people today. Okay, the House has been kept. On to Sanity Corner. Megan, calling on you first because you volunteered.
4: Okay, I have embarked on a journey and I invite listeners to come on this journey with me, but I am going to read every single Agatha Christie. <gasps> and I am like, oh, Alyssa's standing up. This is good. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow, yeah. The Mystery of Mrs. Christie. I have not read that. No, it's new. It's Maybe new. Maybe that's like my cherry on top. She faked her own death. She yeah. went, I yeah. mean, that's it's I the whole I can imagine. Yes. She did. she's wild. She's crazy. Um, so I'm like five in, and I think there's like 35 to 45, depending on like short stories, including and stuff. But it's just so nice to have a, not have to search for a book. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm going on to my next book, and I'm not really doing it in order. I'm sort of like doing character based popping around, but. It's it's brought me a lot of joy to just read about English nobility being murdered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Megan is going to come out of this being like, we got to do something about this baroness on baroness crime. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's talking about it, and it's a huge problem. <laughs> it's an epidemic. Oh, that sounds great. Mystery novels can weirdly be, they can really take you out of the now. Mm-hmm. and And put you into an imaginary murder, which sometimes is like way more comforting than whatever. yes, the bad guy
4: always gets caught. there's
1: a puzzle, but it's
4: solved. You know, like rules are <laughs> followed, and that can be <laughs> soothing
1: during this time. Uh-huh. I also like the idea of people communicating in like ciphers and codes. Like yeah. have you ever left a coded message for anybody? No, no, no. People don't do that unless they're like literal spies. But in mystery novels, people are always like circling letters in, like mm-hmm. memorandums and <laughs> shit like
3: that.
4: A letter in a in a long coat.
3: <laughs> ooh, ooh, a I, I just read The Westing Game because of. Do you, did you ever read that growing up? It was like a. Oh, it's like it's like a Knives Out for teens. <gasps> Um, okay. And it was very fun to read. It was a uh, young adult Newbery Award winner back in the <gasps> 80s, I want to say. Ooh, okay, um, But my friend was obsessed with it and told me to read it. And it was like very fun and like great for like a little pandemic jaunt to yeah. another world. Yeah, so. mystery
1: novels are super fun. Um, So uh, I'm going to go next with my sanity corner. I actually kind of have two. Um, One of them is like, one of them is, like, ironic detachment fun, and one of them is, like, sincere engagement fun. So, um, I saw an article the other day about a really bad Netflix movie called Deadly Illusions, starring uh, Kristen Davis. Oh, and- my gosh! Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I've seen that. Great. <laughs> yeah. It apparently just came out, and it is legendarily bad. Like, legendarily bad, like how the movie The Room not room. Okay. The room is legendarily bad. Um, like it, it is it is truly an exercise. And how did this get made? <laughs> um, I tried to watch half of it last night and it was kind of fun to have like running commentary about a bad movie. And I realized that I hadn't deliberately watched something that was like not good in a really long time, you know, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to just sit down and be like, all right, this is going to suck. And I'm going to I'm going to enjoy it. So Deadly Illusions, if you have it, it's way too long. Um, it's not there are no good aspects of it. Her house is cool. But other than that, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad and in a in a fun way. So if you want something fun, bad Deadly Illusions is fun. Isn't bad. It a,
3: like a les- like erotic lesbian thriller, too. Like, isn't there some like queer baiting in it as well? <laughs> Yes, and it's, like,
1: <laughs> very—I mean, like, here's the thing. Like, I love a good lesbian thriller. Like, Bound is one of my favorite movies. It's mm-hmm. so, so good. It's such a hot movie. It's so great. This is just sort of, like, did the person who write this—have they had sex? It was, like, a. Oh, it, it was, nice. like, a— do they? Yeah, do I like they that. get aroused? Do they know how it works? It sort of reminded oh, yes. me of, like— um Sort of reminded me of like the the part in Forty Year Old Virgin when Steve Carell's character is trying to describe having sex and he describes breasts as like a bag of sand, (laughs) and everyone knows that you're like over (laughs) forty (laughs) five. But yeah, it was like kind of. It was very like it's a it's a movie
3: that is like the bag of sand movies of lesbian (laughs) thrillers. I I think a friend of mine shared like a screen grab of when Netflix posted that, and Kristen Davis was like in the comment section of the like Instagram post where someone was like this was even this was too confusing to finish and she chimes in it's okay it's not for everyone oh (laughs) I love that a Charlotte
4: even in real life
1: (laughs) she does seem like a very sweet person and I like I'm glad she loves
4: animals like elephants doesn't
1: she do a ton with elephants I think so Mm -hmm. yeah she seems like a very sweet person who is in a bad movie um But yeah, so the other thing that I have gotten into, so we've talked about getting into birds on this podcast. Alyssa, you and I have been on team, like kind of- Team bird. Team bird, yeah. You guys are already in your golden girl's house. mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Mentally, yes, I'm there. Um, Yeah, my husband got me a hummingbird feeder for my birthday last year for like Valentine's Day. He got me a bunch (laughs) of prints of beautiful birds. It's really out of hand. Um, But I started reading this book called The Bird Way by Jennifer Ackerman. And it is just this book that's just like a bunch of facts about how birds communicate and use tools and like how weird they are. And from there, I started Googling Australian birds. (gasps) Guys! i i do not under i am 37 years old and i just now am learning about birds in australia i feel like secrets have been kept from me birds in australia are crazy they're like brightly colored they never stop screaming they're everywhere some of them are huge and can kill you have you ever looked at a cassowary's foot it's a dinosaur foot erin and it's a bird it's like i okay and they also have crazy names the name splendid is involved in multiple oh. australian birds um there's also something called the little penguin which is the world's smallest penguin and its official oh. name is little Whoa, penguin that's so um, cute um yeah the biggest the biggest owl in australia is called the powerful owl like <laughs> it's but Erin. What about the kookaburra? The kookaburra, which has an entire song about it, which as soon as I saw the word kookaburra, the entire song came back to me completely. (laughs) Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. Merry, (laughs) merry king of the forest. He... (laughs) Oh, see, I learned it. that when I was three. And the minute you posted that, I was like, fucking kookaburra. Yeah. <laughs> it's like inside out. All of a sudden, that memory came like fully totally formed Aww. back to my head. But yeah, Australian <laughs> birds, guys. I know we have listeners in Australia. I, I posted a bunch of stuff about it on Instagram and people were like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. The birds <laughs> down here are, are really a lot. And I, I seriously, if you want to... If you want to like spend like an hour of just pure joy, it's like looking at another planet of animals. And I sound <laughs> like I am—I've smoked pot, and I swear to God, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. It is like it is wild, and also like African bird biodiversity is amazing. But Australian birds are a particular brand of like nuts. I just I, I'm—I feel betrayed that nobody told me about Australian birds before. <laughs> Those are my two sanity corners this week. Uh, Alyssa, do you want to go next?
0: Yeah. So mine is a little bit less of a sanity corner and more like now I'm sane. Mm. So many months ago, we did construction in the very room you see me in (gasps) and three mice got into the wall. Okay. Sounded Mm -hmm. like a fucking raccoon was having a fight in here. And turns out they were in the wall. I was like, well, there are three of them. We don't know if they're men, women, whatever, if they can reproduce. And I don't want them to die. And I don't want them to reproduce. So we drilled a hole into the wall. And I set humane traps, right? And we caught two. And my husband and I, we are like high-fiving each other. And we took the mice like two miles away. And we gave them a little wedge of cheddar. We gave them a little wedge of cheddar for their journey. And then we came home that night. And a third one was running across the dining room. And we were like, are you kidding me? And since that time, since that time, he has been at large. He has been the mouse fugitive. (gasps) He has appeared in the stove. Okay, he got into the insulation and he peed and then you have to do all kinds of things to fix that. And he has been my nemesis, my Newman of Seinfeld. I have steel (laughs) wool all over this place. And the problem is because he didn't get into the house through a hole. Like, you know, like there wasn't a weakness in our house. He just Mm -hmm. got in because this window wasn't there for about five hours that like he couldn't get out. And I was it. I am consumed. I have been consumed by it. And this morning, I was laying in bed, and my husband came in. He's like, "Have I got a surprise for you?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, we got the mouse. And he's like, correction, you got the mouse. And the cats, you guys, I have three cats. They have been asleep at the wheel. I actually think Norm, fat Norm, has been harboring the mouse because this guy's been alive for, like, three months in this house. And Midge, of course, the only female cat, was, like, trying to get him all morning. And the other two were just, like, because it was, like, a clear little, like, tube that he goes to eat the food in, and then the door closes, and then you can carry him away. And Midge, of course, she has no teeth, you know. She's, like, trying to get at him. And these two other cats that are fully functioning are, like, I mean, what? We don't see anything. (laughs) But anyway, I am, like, high on life now because I really, you know, I really – I was afraid he was going to die in the stove. And you guys, like, if that happens, you kind of have to get a new stove. And when you call people to help you up here in upstate New York, they're like, no. yeah, just got to let it ride out. And I'm like, what are you even <laughs> talking about? What does that mean? So anyway. Did you take him to the same drop spot as his friends? No, he just went down the hill. He just went down the okay. hill. and we we set him down by the creek.
3: Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, that's so a nice water
0: hit. view. He does. He can drink till his heart's content. <laughs> so I, it was not my sanity corner, but I feel sane
1: for the first time in three
4: months. Congrats. Thank you. And
1: Thank Midge, you. once again, doing the invisible work of women that the mm-hmm. men just take for granted. Uh, <laughs>
0: you, you guys, I was a hot minute from putting cornstarch down on the floor so that when he ran through it, I could trace his steps. Tracking.
3: Oh, my God.
0: Is that I mean, like a… history a- novel. That's a real <laughs> thing, <by laughs> Diane.
3: That's a
4: real thing. I found it on the internet.
3: Oh my god!
4: God. No, that's when you were saying you were laying in bed. I was like, oh no! If he runs across the covers, like that's my fear. uh, Is it's just gonna be like on my pillow? They don't
0: really do that. They like to stay along
1: the perimeter of your home. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Safer. Oh man! Well, congratulations to that mouse, which I'm sure by now has been captured by a hawk or owl. fine. Um, At least I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You're completely. You've, your hands are clean. Um, Tian, what is your sanity corner this week?
3: Okay, this is going to sound like an ad, but it's not supposed to be. And I know <laughs> that we've been sponsored by this company before. And when we were, I did not buy any of their things. But now I am. I'm a huge sun basket bitch right now. I'm like absolutely obsessed with it. It, we started doing it in, in the choir because my partner and I were like, I'm so sick of thinking about what we're having for dinner. It would like, we would get into like little arguments about it. It was like the bane of our everyday talk of just like, what do you want for dinner? Like, it, so sunbasket, we have it now. I don't, I don't think it is part of Crooked Media's advertising anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But when we were doing those ads, I was like, that sounds like a little, that sounds outrageous. I don't need that. Who needs that? Who needs like an exact meal sent to your door where you can just like cut and chop and pop it in and it's ready? I do. I do. (laughs) I absolutely love it. When I get that little box, I'm so excited to like see everything partitioned out and like, ready to go in 30 minutes with no thinking like i'm obsessed that is my mm-hmm. that has been my sanity corner for the last couple months is getting a box of sunbasket and you can order extra things too outside <laughs> of the meals i'm sorry it's so amazing there's a whole market you can get proteins you can get like fresh overnight pasta. oats overnight oats Ugh. I What's love- your favorite meal that you've had? And again, this is not an ad. This is not, <laughs> truly, this is not an ad. I love it so much. Uh, recently had like scallops on uh, rainbow shard and um, it was in red wine something. Oh. It was like, it was delicious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so guys, that's all the time we have for the show today. Thank you so much, Megan and Tien, for stopping by. It's always lovely to see both of you. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Shannon Watts for stopping by to talk about the fight for gun control. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in once again. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review the show and tell your friends. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Magic Group. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.